If you read first in Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians 3 and verse 14, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom every family in the heavens and on the earth is named, in order that he may give you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power by his Spirit in the inner man, that the Christ may dwell through faith in your hearts, being rooted and founded in love, in order that you may be fully able to apprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of the Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled even to all the fullness of God. Prophet Daniel, chapter 1, verse 8, And Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not pollute himself with the king's delicate food, nor with the wine which he drank. And he requested of the prince of the eunuch that he might not have to pollute himself. And God granted Daniel favour and mercy before the prince of the eunuchs. Verse 15. At the end of ten days their countenances appeared fairer and were fatter in flesh than all the youths that ate of the king's delicate food. So the steward took away their delicate food and the wine that they should drink and gave them pulse. As for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. Chapter 10, chapter 10 and verse 10. And behold, a hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and the palms of my hands. And he said unto me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words which I speak unto thee, and stand upright. For unto thee am I now sent. And as he spoke this word unto me, I stood trembling. And he said unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thy heart to understand, and to humble thyself before thy God, thy words were heard, and I have come because of thy words. 2 Chronicles 32 2 Chronicles 32 and verse 31 However, in the matter of the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, who sent to him to inquire of the wonder that was done in the land, God left him to try him, that he might know all that was in his heart. Finally, in 2 Samuel 9. 2 Samuel 9. And David says, Is there yet any that is left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was of the house of Saul a servant, whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David. And the king said to him, Art thou Ziba? And he said, Thy servant. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul, that I may show the kindness of God to him? And Sarah said to the king, Jonathan is yet a son, who is lame on his feet. And the king said to him, Where is he? And the king, and Zyba said to the king, Behold, he is in the house of Machab, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. 
verse 13. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem and could eat continually at the king's table, and he was lame on both his feet. It's a common expression in the world that somebody's heart's not in something. They're doing it, but they're not really engaged. Heart's not in it. It's a poor thing if a Christian's heart is not in it. I would like just to say something about that tonight and to challenge my own heart as to whether it's on fire for Christ. This is no time in the testimony to be half-hearted Christians. The world, the hymn that we sung, Night Like a Paul, Shrouds the Land, is becoming darker, the world. Someone has worked out that the government we have in Scotland at the moment is the most anti-God government in Western Europe. And there are laws being introduced which are directly against his word. Governments in the Western world are on a collision course with Christians. And I think things could get difficult in the teaching profession, in various professions. These are times for hearts to be strong for Christ and to stand up for what's right. I'm not advocating to stand against government. Governments of God, we must accept that. But I'm advocating that we need to stand up for what's right and to stand up for Christ. It said, you know, when you become a believer in the Lord Jesus, you give your heart to Christ. That's a lovely way to put it. Has everybody done that here? You young ones, have you given your heart to Christ? It's an important thing, you know. A number of years ago, there was several thousand American soldiers on a beach in the Philippines. And a man stood up and sang, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain and be held in sin's dark sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. And 500 of these men gave their hearts to Christ. That's what we need to do if you don't know the Lord Jesus as your saviour. We've talked in the reading about what he's done for us. All he's asking you to do is accept that you're a sinner and you need a saviour and come in repentance to trust in him. Come to me, all ye who labour and are burdened, and I will give you rest. Think of the complete absence of rest and peace and joy in the world in which we're living. Why? Because it's only found in Christ. So anyway, what does giving your heart to Christ mean practically for you? What does that mean? Does that mean that Christ has the first place? I challenge my own heart. The Lord says, you know, that where your heart is, there will your treasure be. 
Things that you truly value are in your heart, you know. I wonder if Christ has the first place in all of our hearts. That was the Apostle's desire, you know, as he prayed for these Ephesians in in chapter 3. Various things he prayed for about them. But the main thing was that the Christ would dwell through faith in their hearts. Now I know this is a collective setting. He's speaking to an assembly in the Ephesian epistle. And the setting is that Christ is on high and his body is here. The church is here. But the church is to feel the absence of Christ. Now I don't know if generally that's felt in Christendom. I think the hope and joy of the Lord's return is something that's not enjoyed because the church is not feeling the absence of Christ. And Daniel wanted him as such a challenge in that regard. Thine absence awakens deep longing, does it? Or have we become immersed in the world system? Well, that the Christ may dwell through faith in your hearts. That is, that he's not here. He's coming back. But in the meantime, he dwells in the hearts of those who form the assembly. He's there by faith as they wait for his return. Well, the Ephesians, you know, were far on in the truth. Obviously must have been, because Paul outlines the whole counsel of God in the Ephesian epistle. And what a remarkable chapter that is. The first chapter of Ephesians. Read it and read it again. The fullness of God's blessing in Christ for the believer. The fullness of his purpose. It's, it's wonderful to read it. And what an understanding Paul had. But what happened to the Ephesians? <clears throat> the Lord has to say to them that they'd left the first love. That is, they've cooled in their affections for Christ. And you know, it's absolutely vital, dear believer, that Christ has the first place in your affections if you're to be effective in testimony. And it's, a, it's vital that he has the first place in our gatherings if there's to be any power and any blessing. Christ must have his place. That's the Colossians, you know. That Christ might have the first place in all things. Well, let us start with our hearts, you know. If, if we go cool in our affections for Christ, we lose our part in the testimony. The Lord says, I want to take the lamp away. You can't be a testimony for me if you don't truly love me. What then happens? It's what happened to the Laodiceans, you know. They were neither cold nor hot. They were just lukewarm. They were on fire for the Lord. They didn't even need the Lord. They were just going on and around the things. Completely immersed in the world system. If you read what the Lord says to them, you know, these were all things that marked Laodicea. They had lukewarm water came in to the city via Laodicea. They were known for eyesalve. They were known for gold. They were known for fine clothing. The Lord takes them up on every one of these things. They had <coughs> they had lost sight of the Lord. They were going on with around the things. But you know, in marvelous grace, he's standing 
at the door. Standing at the door. I believe he's standing at the door of your heart tonight in Belfast and knocking. Let me in. Give me the full place in your heart. Surrender completely to me and see what blessing will flow from that. Let us be ready to do that, you know. Let our hearts be softened by what Christ has done for us. Let us be the more ready then to surrender completely to him and have our part livingly in the testimony. Well, Daniel is a great example of someone who purposed in his heart. You know, the the Chaldeans sought out these princes, these Israeli princes, young men between 14 and 17, and they changed their names, they changed their clothes, changed their language, and changed their teaching. In other words, they want to turn them in to Chaldeans, and that's what Satan's at tonight. He wants to turn you into a worldling. Someone whose outlook is connected to things here. And by doing that, he snuffs out your testimony. And Daniel said, this is not going to happen to me. This is a young man, no more than 17. He purposed in his heart that he wouldn't do it. Why? Because it was against God's law. These persons sacrificed things to idols. To partake of these things meant you were in in agreement with that. They also sacrificed the things that God forbade the Israelites to eat. Daniel said, no, I'm not going to do that. He purposed in his heart. That's what's needed tonight. You know, there are influences and currents flowing in the world tonight that come straight from Satan. We need... The word of God. We need purpose of heart. To swim against the stream. To say that this is not going to happen. That we're going to be true to Christ. Like Daniel was you know. We need to trace things back. To where we come from. Sometimes you find things in your own heart. That can be traced directly back to Satan. Shocking isn't it? Proverbs tells us that the heart of man is desperately wicked and incurable or deceitful above all things and desperately wicked GNBC or incurable the authorised says the only thing that can change your heart is the operations of divine grace but what is needed in these days is not just a resolve to do things, to do something, but for our hearts to be engaged in it. That's what Daniel's heart was engaged in this. And you know, the minute he did that, God came in for him. It's a wonderful thing that, you know, you may not prove, you may have to step out in faith and then find that divine support comes in. And that's what happened, that God granted him favour in the eyes of the eunuch, you know, the prince of the eunuchs. They granted his favour. 
Give him a little test. But it was proved that what he said was right. And then it says that God, God gave them wisdom. Not the Chaldeans. God gave them wisdom and gave them understanding. That's the kind of wisdom that we need. Christ is God's wisdom to us. God's power and God's wisdom. Let us not be taken up with the wisdom of this world. You know, this world is coming under judgment. It's fast coming under judgment. Let us be those men and women who with purpose of heart stand up for the Lord and for what's right. What what happened as a result of this? Well, you find that Daniel instigates the first prayer meeting that we have in the Bible in order of what the king said about the wise men. And God came in for him again and gave him the answer to the dream. But then later in his life, he's still in Babylon. He set his heart to find out why they were in Babylon. So not only did he set his heart that he would not do certain things, but he set his heart to do things. Why were the people of Israel in Babylon? And he looked into it. He looked into Jeremiah. And he found the answer. There it was, in black and white. They were in... They were in Babylon because of their unfaithfulness, because of their disobedience to God, because they never kept the Sabbath. He understood that, and it affected him greatly. Do you know what he did then? He took responsibility for what had happened. A young man who had nothing to do with what had gone before. You know, that's a lesson for me. When we look back, On the testimony we see failure after failure after failure. And we'll never get help until we accept responsibility for it. That's what Daniel did, you know. He confessed his sins and the sins of his people. And the angel says to him, from the day, from the day that you set your heart to do that, you were heard. God came in to bless that man and to give him... A great unfolding of what was to happen. You know, if there is to be recovery, it will only be as Christ has the first place in our individual hearts and in our gatherings together. There is no way that recovery can come about or reconciliation can come about unless we humble ourselves before God and before the Lord Jesus and accept His leading and His guidance and give us Give him the first place in our lives and in our gatherings. You know, I'm not sure that there's room for you and Christ in your heart. I'm not sure there is. And if we're true, there's a lot of us in our hearts. We like to take care of ourselves. We like what we like. But we need to make way for Christ in these hearts. Maybe you need to learn what's in your heart. Hezekiah. I think he gets a lot of bad press, Hezekiah. I think we talk a lot about him the last 15 years of his life. And it's a shame that that's what defined him, because he was a good king. He was a good king. His great-grandfather was Amaziah, and it says he followed the Lord, but not with his whole heart. In other words, he was he knew what was right, but he just kind of stayed on the fringes. His father 
was an evil king. He had no help and no guidance from his father. He led Israel astray, Ahaz. And he comes to the throne at the age of 25. And the first thing he does in the first month is he opens the doors of the house of God that his father had shut up. And he began again the service of praise. And he held the Passover. And he claimed to the Lord. Think of the good things that Hezekiah did. You should read about them more than what happened in the last part of his life. He was a good king. And he followed God. He claimed to him. And then he was told, God told him to set his house in order. Because he was going to die. And he was so affected by that that he pleaded for his life. And God gave him 15 years, as we know. Now it turns out that God was right. Because in the 15 years, Manasseh was born. One of the wickedest kings ever had. Judah ever had. But we're so thankful for Chronicles. Because we find out in Chronicles that Manasseh was saved. God can operate among the vilest. Manasseh was saved. But anyway, that's one of the things that happened. And the other thing that happened is, of course, that the ambassadors of one of the greatest potentates on the earth came to inquire after Hezekiah. Now, what he learned bitterly was there was pride in his heart. Mm. His heart was lifted up, it says. It shows what a snare pride is, you know. God hates pride. Mm. He hates it wherever he finds it. Think of him finding pride in his own. Those who belong to Christ. If we're honest, we know something about that. Mm. Feel that we're a better class of Christian. Mm. We're better than the next. Yeah, and Christians are obnoxious to the Lord, you know. There's no such thing as better class of Christians. We all belong to Christ. We all cost the same. Mm. I'm not saying that we're all walking in a path pleasing to him, that's not what I'm touching on. What I'm touching on is that we've nothing to be proud about. We've everything to be humble about. There was a good king who did a lot to restore things in Israel. And yet he had pride in his heart. Let us guard our hearts. Let us see that if Christ has the first place in our hearts, there's no room for pride. We're kept in humility. We're kept in appreciation of what he has done for us and what he still does for us. In other words, our hearts are kept soft for Christ. That's so important in these days. Well, I finish with a man after God's own heart. And David is such a beautiful type of Christ. He says, as we said in the reading, God said, a man after my own heart who shall do all my will. Now, we know that David failed. But the thing about David is that he was so recoverable, wasn't he? And the only thing that's recorded against him in the New Testament was the matter of Uriah. It's the only thing. 
when David effectively murdered them. But how quickly he was recovered when Nathan said, Thou art the man. Mm. Thou art the man. This is what you've done. And he was heartbroken. Read, read the Psalms, 50 or 51 I think it is. And it shows the depth of his repentance. And how sorry, against thee, against thee only, have I sinned. Thou wilt have truth in the inward parts. Create in me a new heart, a clean heart, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. He was a man that felt for God and felt his, his, how he'd sinned. He says in another place, you know, you've not dealt with us according to our sins. And I think if there's any part of David's life that demonstrated that, it's this portion here. Because anybody in the house of Saul was a threat to the throne. Anybody. The house of Saul still existed. And David says, is there anybody left of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God? Isn't that beautiful? David had appreciated the kindness of God. And he wanted to show it to these enemies. Basically the house of Saul. And there Jonathan has a son to lay him on his feet. We can read what happened. But Mephibosheth was so committed to David for what he did for him. And that challenges me. Am I so committed to Christ for what he's done for me? You know, he never washed his beard, washed his clothes or trimmed his beard when David was in rejection. He never contested Ziba. Ziba slandered him, took the lands off him. Mephibosheth was ahead morally of David at that point when he said, let him take all. Now that my lord the king has returned in peace. David meant everything to Mephibosheth. The land, the wealth, whatever it was, meant nothing. What a challenge to our hearts, you know. We can't hold on to anything here, can we? Remember that young missionary, Jim, can't remember his second name. Taken to be with the Lord before he was 30, said, He is no fool. Let's go what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. <clears throat> Things of Christ are eternal and abiding. And we are in the most incredible time in the church's history because these are the last days. These are the days we need to be on fire for Christ. These are the days we need to be faithful to him in his absence. We need to be ready to stand up for him. Our hearts need to be engaged in the way that Daniel's was, in the way that Hezekiah was when he started out, in the way that David was. Let us commit ourselves fully to Christ and to his interests while we wait his return and be ready to stand up for what's right. May it be so for his name's sake. Amen.